All right, what a week it has been. And joining me now, he is a colleague, a friend, the salary cap expert here at PFF. It is Brad Spielberger. Brad, thanks for taking the time. I know it's been a crazy last couple of weeks for everyone here, but um, how's it been here by your on your end? Yeah, it's been good. Thanks for having me. I, uh, you know, you got an impressive list of guests so far, so I'm honored to be uh, to be added to that list. Yeah, I, I feel like after a week like this, there aren't many people that can really top what you do, especially the um, the expertise that you have when it comes to the cap and all these moves. It's been, um, I don't really want to say it's recency bias or not, but do you agree this has been like the craziest first two weeks? Like even last week was not officially, I mean, last week was the first week of free agency, but the week before that is really when it got started. Do you feel like this has been like the craziest one in recent memory? I do. I think we are in a new era of you know player movement in the NFL where teams are more willing to trade players, trade quarterbacks, um, and, and just kind of cut their losses, be more honest with themselves about where they're at, and, and vice versa, be more aggressive and, and chase that window more, which I think has led to more movement. Yeah. It's definitely true. I think there's a, a youth movement when it comes to GMs where they're more aggressive. And we kind of saw it again here today. We're recording on Monday and it was Matt Ryan, who the Falcons trade after 14 years as their quarterback. They take on the largest dead money cap hit in history of over $40 million. And all they get is a third round pick from the Colts. Let me start with the Colts angle to all this because, you know, the Carson once trade it was a flop. It didn't work out. But considering what they got back for Wentz and what they gave up to get Matt Ryan, I don't think Chris Ballard could have done a better job than what he just did. After that first trade, yeah, like if, you're, if that's your starting point to today, I agree with you. You probably could not do much better. I mean, the most successful season he's had since Andrew Luck retired was that one year with Phillip Rivers. And I think this trade is kind of a similar move getting a guy to kind of finish out his career, a storied career, you know, in your building for the next couple of years. I'm with you hundred percent. Exactly. Like again, and, and we'll talk about Deshaun Watson later on, but it just shows how hard it is to find the franchise quarterback and some teams just pull the trigger despite all the stuff that Watson has, which again, we'll get to in a second, but it just shows how hard it's been for the Colts ever since Luck retired, a new starting quarterback in five or six straight years there. Matt Ryan comes in Atlanta moves on. When it comes to the Falcon side of things, Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith, this is their second year with that regime. And let's just say, face it, you know, they walked into a terrible situation cap-wise. It's a very tough situation. Last year, they traded Julio Jones. They got back a second-round pick. Looking at, looking at it now, they won that trade. They failed on getting Watson, which we'll talk, again, we'll talk about later. But they move on from Matt Ryan, who it sounds like he welcomed the idea of moving on, but what is the vision for the future of this team right now? It's a great question. And you say, you know, he welcomed the move. I, I'm sure he did. But we have to remember last week it was reported that he restructured his contract and was planning to come back. I was able to put that information out. And then Ian right. Rappaport was also able to put that information out. So they yeah. clearly planned on keeping him um, at least as of a week ago. And it sounds like, you know, maybe a little bit upset by how they approached the Deshaun Watson situation. It's interesting. They have the number eight overall pick. If they do like one of the guys in this class, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, whoever, they maybe take that guy. And I think at number 43 as well, guy like Matt Corral out of Ole Miss, maybe if Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati falls that far, I'm not sure he will. Um, but one of those guys, I, I think you have to pair a rookie with Marcus Mariota. I don't think you can just go into the year with only Marcus Mariota on your roster. Yeah, and we should mention Mariota signed today, two-year deal, basically reunites with Arthur Smith, 
who they were together in Tennessee. Of course, he got benched for Ryan Tannehill, but they are now back together. But overall, when it comes to the Falcons in this roster, like you look at the division and it's really Tom Brady and then I don't know what else we got over there. Do you feel like they should be pushing to get a guy like a Landry or, you know, all these other receivers that are out there? Or is it still let's push back again and then come back next year where I believe they're projected to have over a hundred million in cap, if I'm not mistaken, all that money comes off the table. Do you feel like they should continue to push forward or take a step back again? I think they have to explore some of those secondary options. I mean, Kyle Pitts is a good young player and did play like an outside X wide receiver at times, but at the end of the day, he's a second year rookie tire, you know, second year tight end. Um, and there's no one else to speak of in terms of pass catcher as receivers, as, as tight ends, anything. And I, it's not fair for any quarterback to do that to them and, and just give them no weapons. Yeah, I mean, their offseason's been tough because they also went out and extended their left tackle and Jake Matthews to a big contract. He's now blocking for, you know, Marcus Mariota and who else knows. And with the Ridley suspension and all that, it really is just Kyle Pitts by himself. So I do. I think they need to be willing to add a secondary option just to be, you know, just to be near league average, uh, you know, in terms of who they can throw the ball to. Right. They've signed Damian Williams so far. I think their top receiver right now is um, Zacchaeus, who got back on an RFA tender. So, yeah, they do have to make some more moves there. Again, when Fontenot got there, the cap situation was a disaster. Um, Arthur Smith, with last year, Cordell Patterson, is back there. He found some magic with him, but it's a very tough situation, and it looks like they'll need one more year before they start to fully build this thing back up. You know, Brad, I'm not someone who puts out that many opinions on Twitter. I rarely do, but I did today when it comes to Washington and what they did to get Carson Wentz. Even if you really want Carson Wentz, looking at how many quarterbacks have become available from Baker to Matt Ryan to the free agents still out there to the draft, what they gave up to get him and taking on the contract, it's pretty obvious they overpaid to get him out of desperation. Looking back at it now, do you are you with me on this? Because a lot of Washington fans would have been not happy with that tweet. No, 110%. And, and, and I don't want to rag on the organization, but it's clearly not a place that players want to go and want to play. And I think, you know, Wentz, did not have a no trade clause, whereas Jimmy Garoppolo, Russell Wilson were able to dictate where they went. Maybe Deshaun Watson, if he was on their radar again, had the no trade clause. So it's basically there, there was a there's always the musical chairs of quarterbacks every offseason. And they were unwilling to be, you know, st left standing at the end of the song like they were last year. And yes, Wentz is an upgrade over the guy, you know, Taylor Heineke and and that version of Alex Smith they had. But Totally just a desperation play, just getting somebody to play quarterback for them. All right, we were there at the combine. Ron Rivera was pretty open about needing a veteran quarterback. Chris Ballard and Frank Reich basically admitted that Frank that, that Carson Wentz is not their guy. And to be able to get multiple threes, one that could become a two as well, plus taking on the entire contract. Again, you could have gotten Wentz for better value, is my point, if you wanted him. But it just felt like they overpaid, especially looking at what Matt Ryan went for. I know he's older, but only a third-round pick. It just feels like they could have waited, similar to Chris Ballard, and eventually get their guy. But they didn't get Carson Wentz. He's back in the NFC East with a coaching staff that he's never been around before. So maybe that changes him a little bit. But only time will tell. Let me flip over to the quarterback that Washington was never going to pursue for obvious reasons, and that is Deshaun Watson. The first team out somehow became the last team standing in the Deshaun Watson race here. He gets, as everyone knows, a five-year, 
$230 million contract. Every last cent is guaranteed. In essence, it's a super max contract for an NBA player. That's one way of looking at it. But this trade goes down despite the fact there are 22 civil lawsuits that are still very much in the air. And my initial reaction was basically, it's just a confirmation of what we already knew. It's a team is always going to give up whatever it takes. They'll move heaven and earth to go get a quarterback who is elite, who could win. It doesn't matter what goes on off the field. If you have talent, if you could help us win, come on down. And I will say, you know, the Watson news to me was the biggest shocker I've had this entire offseason, to the Browns specifically. Like the Adams move didn't really shock me. The Russell Wilson trade didn't shock me. I could have seen it coming. Him switching to the Browns actually shocked me. But I really believe that the Watson camp, they're very smart. They knew they had all the leverage and they knew Cleveland being in would lead Baker Mayfield to being upset. So my theory, and I want to hear you on this, is I believe they eliminated the Browns first, knowing that they were going to be the most aggressive, but they weren't all in all the way yet. Let's say they didn't guarantee the fourth or fifth year of the contract. So they said, hey, guys, you're out. And by eliminating that, eliminating them, that made Andrew Barry and the Browns keep on pushing to get back in and eventually giving everything that they wanted. What do you think of that theory? No, 100%. I think you characterized it perfectly the other day, which was this was a free agency situation. I mean, this was it was a trade, but it was in reality teams bidding for a player's services. And because he had that no trade clause, he was able to dictate terms and, and, and kind of shape how everything worked out. And so I do, I agree with you to where, you know, Cleveland is also obviously their camp knows, look, Cleveland has never had a franchise quarterback at any point. They had this really good roster finally, and everyone loves their team. They made this trade for Amari Cooper. So they're staying aggressive and trying to be a contender and competitive in this vaunted AFC conference. And I do, I think, you know, that a tweet that stuck out to me was David Newton at ESPN put out that Carolina was not yes. comfortable guaranteeing. I want to say he said the third and fourth year, maybe not in fourth and fifth. And right. that kind of got out and it kind of seemed like that was an indication of where things were and who was ultimately controlling this process. But I'm with you for them to kind of jump in at the last second to kind of come over the top of Atlanta and New Orleans. It may have been this crafty maneuver, like you're saying, where they knew if they kind of kept them at bay and they ruled them out, but didn't say, you know, didn't say, hey, look, we're not going to answer the phone if you call. It then kind of made things materialize and crystallize at the end there. Yeah. And, you know, like the other thing that, that they did with that contract, besides getting a fully guaranteed deal, was, of course, making the base salary this year one million dollars, basically, which means once he gets suspended, I think he will. The punishment money wise is basically nothing. And again, this, I believe, is something the Browns were not willing to do originally. But once they were eliminated, they had to do it and they did it. And now it's in the contract. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anything the NFL could do about that? Because it is, I mean, I guess you could say it's brilliant from the Watson side, but it's pretty messed up from the team side, right? You know, that's the thing is I think this was a, again, a Watson camp recommendation or suggestion. And I've seen a lot of folks, I want to address this as well, because a lot of folks have pushed back on if this was the sole reason this was done 
And it is smart to point out that this is actually how Andrew Barry structures a lot of his contracts with Miles Garrett's massive extension. It had minimum base salaries actually with, with two option bonuses, which is pretty rare in today's NFL. Oh. So even that context, you have to understand folks, Watson had a $35 million fully guaranteed base salary before the redoing. He would have been, you know, take losing millions of dollars per game. Now it's $55,000 per game, which in effect is nothing. Um, as for what the league can do, not really. I mean, I think they could maybe try to impose a fine as opposed to just him missing games. But even still, I can't imagine a fine being more than maybe another million total, um, you know, again, as opposed to him potentially losing almost $2 million a game under the original terms of the deal. Interesting. I, I think it was I think it was Doug who mentioned this to us, but I just didn't get why his agents were like celebrating that. If anything, just hide it and hope nobody realizes, but they were pumping it out that it's going to be a million dollar base salary for this season. So once he is suspended, the money punishment isn't that great. I was also wondering, just considering now that he has 230 million fully guaranteed, I was wondering if it'll be harder now for him to settle. I think Tony Busby's side will actually make it much tougher on him, but that's a different story. But again, the Browns, as I said, moved heaven and earth to make this happen. They didn't really care about the whole fact that there's civil lawsuits still going on they did say they investigated everything tony busby came out yesterday the attorney for the 22 plaintiffs and said they never spoke to us so they did the deal because they needed a franchise quarterback knowing that baker is not going to be here anymore and they pulled the trigger for watson now let me ask you about just football wise whenever deshaun gets there for the afc north and when he does play where do you believe the browns are in this division which has baltimore which will be fully healthy next year, has Cincinnati, the reigning AFC champs, and then Pittsburgh, who got Trubisky, but I don't think they're fully done at quarterback yet. I still have them as the top team in the in the division. I had them winning the division last year. Obviously, they fell short, but I, I think even with a healthy Baker Mayfield, they maybe have a shot to win that division down the stretch. Hey, look, I understand the Bengals made the Super Bowl, and I've liked their offseason a good bit. As you mentioned, the Ravens were just decimated by injury last year. Very well could bounce back and have a good season. But, you know, in my opinion, the Browns roster last year from number two to 53 and not at quarterback – you could probably stack up with almost every team in the NFL. Now you add in, you know, arguably a top five, maybe top 10 quarterback. And the thing there too is we heard all these rumors that all the trade packages didn't matter if you heard New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina, whatever. We always heard about a player being involved. Even in Cleveland, yeah. we heard maybe Greedy Williams was coming back, whoever it was. For Cleveland to lose no players, they might get some more compensation draft pick wise for Baker Mayfield, maybe not anything, you know, substantial, but they can still add to this roster, maybe bring Jadavion Clowney back, all these things. For my money, it's the best team in the AFC North. You know, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the package. I was a bit surprised at the package that Houston got, like especially when you're trading in conference. I felt like if it's going to be in conference, you should be asking for more than, let's say, what the Saints or Falcons would have given you. I don't really feel like they got enough. Are you? I don't know. I haven't seen that many people talking about it, but three ones no twos like I feel, no players like they could have gotten more for him no I, I totally am with you and I think it comes back to that's how much leverage that you have with that no trade clause that they, that they could go to you know Houston and say look we're not going to make it so that we're going to you know the Cleveland's going to give you one fifth round pick for for Deshaun Watson you're gonna get killed we'll get you some compensation but at the end of the day my contract terms is what's actually driving how I'm going to waive this no trade clause and I do I think 
and I've kind of asked around a little bit and haven't really gotten too many firm answers yet. I think it's still early, but essentially asked like, do you guys as agents think it's going to be harder now to negotiate no trade clauses into your contracts for this specific reason? And I'll say this, the one response I did get from an agent was, if you look at the language for these, they're extremely broad. It literally just says the club cannot trade X player in these seasons without the player signing off. Now I think you'll maybe see, you know, asterisk, if X happens, it changes this. If Y happens, if Z happens. So at the very least, there will be conditions on those now. But yeah, I think that's what it all comes back to. Interesting. And yet, again, Watson had all the, all the leverage in the world. He used it. He got his way to what to where he wanted to and got the money that he was asking for. Now, speaking of money, considering this Watson contract, even considering the Rodgers contract, and even like the Dak contract from last year, how great is that Patrick Mahomes contract right now in Kansas City? It's the best deal for a team in the NFL. I mean, I know it sounds crazy to say that a guy signed for half a billion dollars, and it's, it, but it is. I mean, the amount of years left as well, obviously he may try to come back to the table relatively early, but technically his extension doesn't even start until this season, right? I mean, this upcoming year is the first year of the 10-year deal, um, and it's already looks like a total bargain. It is, yeah, like I said, it's probably, it's arguably the best deal for a team in the league. Yep, and they could just continue to restructure that deal, create more cash space basically every year. We'll see what happens when eventually next year Herbert and Burrow are up for contract and they surpass him. Will Patrick Mahomes do anything about it? I don't know. I don't get the sense that he's that type of a guy, but he also would have 10 more years left. I don't know how you go back to the table, but um, we'll see what happens when we get there. Um, let me go over to the quarterback who was in Cleveland, who still is in Cleveland, but won't be there for long. That is Baker Mayfield. And now that the Colts spot is taken by Matt Ryan, I kind of feel like the only possible destination is Seattle. Am I missing something here? Anybody else on your mind here for, for Baker Mayfield? No, I agree with you. I think I mentioned on our live show that uh, they're now Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator, Ben McAdoo called Baker Mayfield, the QB six back in 2018. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't think he's a fan. I think Seattle could make sense. I do. I think they would explore it. Um, at this point, the price would not be much. And they obviously have a ton of draft capital following the Russell Wilson deal. Yep. And it's probably worth mentioning that, you know, Baker is to the shorter side, similar to Russell Wilson. And it's probably also just worth mentioning. It's not, that's not the main point, but I do believe there were reports in 2018 that Seattle liked Baker Mayfield. And there was a report, which I didn't really buy at the time, but now that we're here, it actually makes sense that Seattle at least considered offering Russell Wilson to Cleveland for the number one overall pick. And the belief at the time was that it was either for Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield. So they do like him. They liked him at the draft. We heard about how much they love Drew Locke. I don't know if you can go into the season with Drew Locke as your guy. I could see a scenario where they do trade for Baker Mayfield and he goes in there at least to compete with Drew Locke. And you mentioned the Ben McAdoo thing. He told that to the New York Post after he was fired by the Giants. The Giants that year had the number two overall pick. They picked Saquon. They passed on a quarterback, which was a very big topic here in New York. And then he was fired that year and they asked him about the quarterback class and he openly just said that baker was last on our list even behind somebody who went in the second or third round so i can't see that happening we will mention that um carolina was at kenny pickett's pro day today they do pick pretty high they still don't have their quarterback solution right now um i want to shift over to something that kind of went under the radar a little bit but i feel like you're the right guy to talk about this what were your thoughts on how the whole jd mckissick 
Bills Washington thing all happened. Brandon Bean was kind of very open about it, said that Washington coming back in after the player agreed to terms. It's not against the rules, but it's something that GMs just don't do. It's unethical, I guess. Is that something that you think could keep on happening in the NFL, or is that just a, a rare thing that happened here? So there's two points here. I think first, the way he was very particular with the way he worded it was that the team didn't go back to the agents. He said the agents did a good job. They said we're done. What the yeah. team did was go back to J.D. McKissick directly was at least what I gleaned from what Brandon Bean was saying, which yeah. if folks don't know, teams do this a lot. They try to circumvent talking to agents and we'll just reach out to the player directly and maybe say, hey, look, you know, ignore what your agent's telling you. We, you know, we have ABC XYZ. So I think that was his larger issue is they didn't sway an agent and the agent made some messy deal. He actually shouted them both out by name and said they were fair yeah. in their negotiation. That was part one. Part two is Brandon Bean is from that tree for, yeah. you know, Marty Herney and him spent a lot of time together with the Carolina Panthers. Marty Herney, of course, now is a senior personnel, whatever, you know, whatever his title is with Washington, you know, one of the GMs along with Martin Mayhew. But so that I think is where it comes in as well is that not that it's better to screw over someone you don't know, but this is a mentor of his that kind of pulled a maneuver on him. He, I think he was holding back some, some emotion <laughs> and frustration in that press conference. He was, and, it, and it, it's interesting because what you mentioned is true. There are owners, I think probably Jerry Jones is known most for it, where he actually talks directly to the player instead of the agent to try to lure him back. Um, he did it with Randy Gregory. Um, he did it with Dak Prescott, but Dak's agent, Todd France, never allowed it to go anywhere, and they got a very strong deal. But in this case, it was basically he agreed to Buffalo, and then Washington went directly to the player, not the agent. And the agents here were Doug Henderson, CJ LeBoy. And he ended up getting to switch their minds. And they never made an offer originally. They just matched the offer after they found out what Buffalo's deal was. And that's where um, Buffalo got pretty upset. I don't think, I mean, my question really was, do you think this could happen more often? Or is it just more of a thing that GMs understand once a deal is in place, don't touch it anymore? I think people are getting more brazen. I mean, I do. I think folks think they can get away with stuff like this. That note you added, I didn't know that, that they did not make an offer until no. they saw the reported media offer. And this is why I know a lot of teams get upset when these things get reported because yeah. they're not signed when these things are getting reported. And so that information getting out there can then let Washington effectively match an offer sheet, so to speak. Um, but yes, I do. I think this is going to, it's not going to become rampant by any means. I think a lot of folks believe in the in honor and, and, and the value of their word um and that will go away if they keep doing stuff like this but i mean yes this this is the business we're in agents are stealing clients from each other here and there um that's that's just the nature of the beast in, in this business all right and again there is a respect level among gms i am surprised it doesn't happen more often especially when the terms are out there and you know it goes in the database which all teams have access to you could take a look at it it's not signed yet maybe just add a million dollars and get him to come to you, but it doesn't happen often. It did happen here. Brandon Bean said it will affect future business in Washington. That could have been a heat of a moment type of a comment, but we will see what happens later on this off season. If they ever have to talk again, league meetings, by the way, is coming up here next week. So they will bump into each other there. Um, let me shift over to the Devonte Adams trade, a trade which happened when we were live during our free agency show. And I guess being able to digest it now after a few days, does Green Bay doing that make at least some sense to you based off the price 
and the age and all the contracts they have to fit into their cap and all the players they have. J.R. Alexander's deal is coming up. Is there any way for you where you feel like it makes a little bit of sense or they should have done this deal way long ago before the relationship got very rocky? I mean, it makes sense in a vacuum. Like the issue I have, I say this a lot, is kind of like you don't want to be moving in two different directions as a club. Like when people talk about your philosophy or strategy or approach, like if you want to go all in and spend a bunch of money and try to win, fine, do that. If you want to kind of, you know, save some some dollars and, and regress a little bit and focus on the future, do that. But don't kind of be pulling in both directions. And so, you know, for them to, they find these two gems late in free agency last year in Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas on cheap one-year flyers. You're now extending Campbell five years, 50 million. Rasul Douglas, three years, 21 million, I think it is, yeah. with some upside as well. Like, you're then spending there and you literally do not have a capable wide receiver. Like, with all due respect, like, you do not have a wide receiver on your roster. So, look, in a vacuum, though, 30-year-old wide receiver, you're getting a first and second round pick in this year's draft class, which is just below basically the, the actual non-exclusive franchise tender where if Las Vegas signed him, they would have had to send two first-round picks. So just below that compensation, great compensation, all that. At the end of the day, though, as well, when you break down the Adams deal, it's really not as strong as the initial reporting either. And it's a deal that I would have done if I were the Green Bay Packers. It's basically a three-year deal for $67.5 million. Don't get me wrong, still a very strong deal for a 30-year-old wide receiver, but we thought he was going to actually get that $28 million per year average. Again, for folks that don't know, generally cash flows, they do try to make it so your cash flow in the early years is as close to your overall per year average as possible. Obviously there is some backloading going on, but for, I, mean, I want to say he has $36 million salaries in the fourth and fifth season of this, de this deal. The odds he sees that money is, is, is close to 0%. So I know I didn't really answer the question. It makes sense in a vacuum. It doesn't make sense after you give Aaron Rodgers a three year, $150 million deal, bring back all these defensive players and then you're kind of trying to chase the Super Bowl and don't have a wide receiver. Yeah. So I guess the question that comes for me now is where does Green Bay go from here? Because again, we have so much talent that's switching from the NFC to the AFC. They are a favorite easily in the NFC right now, but the wide receiver room needs serious help. Where do you think they go from here? Who are some of the options they should look at? I think they need to explore a trade for an available wide receiver. And it's funny because now we're kind of going back and forth and teeter-tottering. But first name, one veteran that sticks out to me is Brandon Cooks down with the Houston Texans. I think there was a possibility that those two sides were trying to negotiate an extension kind of before the free agency period began. And perhaps now that some of these deals have come through, that has been complicated. And that is, you know, his price tag may be higher than Houston is willing to spend. Um, look, the guy, all the guy does is get traded and put up a thousand yards wherever he goes. So always, a, you know, I think that is a viable option. And then if they want to take a shot in the dark on a rookie contract player, I think DK Metcalf in Seattle is a guy worth making a phone call about. I mean, first of all, John Schneider, the general manager in Seattle spent a lot of time in green Bay. So there's a connection there, but he also just strikes me as a player that I think they would be open to making available um, you know, expressed some frustrations last year with a, with a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now he has Drew Locke as his quarterback and probably looking for a big early extension. He's eligible for one now this offseason. Maybe he comes available. And, and if you're Green Bay, you might have to flip the first rounder that you just got. But, you know, I, I would explore those things because it just doesn't make sense to me to, you know, try to draft some players 
they're not going to be impact players most likely this season. And you have no guarantee Rodgers is here, you know, beyond 2022. Yep. And Metcalf is a player who is eligible for an extension this off season. Um, him along with McLaurin, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, I think Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs are also looking for new deals. You mentioned the Adams deal where it's not realistically 28, but it's three years, 67, right? Do you believe that deal will affect those guys I just mentioned? I, I want to go back to Green Bay in a second, but all those guys who are eligible for an extension, do you believe now they're shooting for that? Because the Hopkins deal, really, nobody believed it was a real 27. But this one over here at 3 and 67, realistically, do all those guys now try to shoot for that deal as well? See, I think they're going to have to build off that, right? Like in, what he really did was just incrementally increase some of the past deals. So just like you said, Hopkins was actually viewed as kind of a five-year deal for about $19 million per year. Right. Julio Jones, it was portrayed as a three-year, $66 million extension. He did kind of have money left. And it, nevertheless, like it was really closer to $20 million per year. Hopkins, I mean, Devontae Adams basically just kept that growth. So if I'm the Chiefs or the Bills with Tyree Kill and Stephon Diggs, I'm probably happy when those terms came through. Those guys may ask for 25 or 26 million per year, but it would be a phony 25 or 26 million per year. Whereas I thought Adams may actually sign a deal right. where it was literally that number in the early years of the contract, and it's not. All right, that's why Fringe is the best because you get all these numbers and I love when fans overreact to it and then you wait to actually see the real numbers. I think the best one that we saw was Juju's deal in, in Kansas City. What was it? It was one year, three and a half guaranteed and the rest are all incentives, but it was reported as 10.7, right? Is that what it was? <laughs> yes. It's fantastic. It's like if a trade goes down, it's like we're trading, I don't know, Blake Cashman for a first that only becomes a first if he has like 10,000 tackles or something. It's unbelievable. But agents do that to make themselves look good. Fans get fooled. It works on them, but it is what it is. It happens in free Anyways, going back to Green Bay, um, the Aaron Rodgers deal, I want to quickly go over there for a second because we talked about it so much. I don't really know if the average fan fully understands what that contract is. Is he under contract for the next couple of years or is this year to year right now? So the answer is both to make things more complicated. So <laughs> no, look, it, it is a three-year contract for, you know, 150 million as it was portrayed. Basically what happens with option years is like the option has to be attached to something. So the options he has in 2023 and 2024 are tied to his base salary, where it's either a fully guaranteed base salary if they decline the option or if they exercise it, then it gets pushed down the line as a, you know, a signing bonus type mechanism. So the, the reason why you can call it year to year is he basically could, you know, indicate he's going to retire or, or whatever it may be. They'll decline that option and then it won't kind of, you know, like future years will go away. Um, but even this year, I mean, he got a $40 million roster bonus, you know, just for this season that does push down the line from a salary cap perspective. Long story short, it is a legitimate deal, but it was structured in a way that he's not trying to just kind of kill them. If he, let's say, retires after two seasons, there is a way to make the numbers a little bit more palatable. Got it. So, um, first of all, it's probably worth mentioning he knew that Devontae Adams could possibly leave. So the whole idea that he's just going to leave next year and just retire could happen, but it's not going to be because of that. But um, that whole contract, it's, it's a very unique one, right? We haven't really seen one like this ever, right? It's extremely unique. The double option itself is a very rare thing. It used to happen a long time ago. It's kind of like I mentioned, Miles Garrett has one. That was the first one I've seen in like a decade. 
but also even the beginning with $0 signing bonus and all in a roster bonus, not to get into fully in the weeds. The reason they did that too is because you can't come after signing or roster bonus prorations. They could, let's say he retired, they could try to recoup money from him if it was a signing bonus because it's a roster bonus, they cannot do that. So every little machination of this deal is for a reason. I could already just picture like week 14, Aaron Rodgers press conference, just hinting at a possible retirement. Now I have to talk about this all over again. I could just see it happening already, but um, we'll see if we'll be talking about it again, but I could just picture it already. All right. Let me wrap this up with a bit of a, a speed round. I've never done this before on the podcast, but a lot has happened. Don't want to talk too much, but let's wrap up with like five or six quick questions here. The team with the best free agency so far is who? I'll take the Los Angeles Chargers. I, I mean, I think the Cleo Mack gets thrown out and that was a solid trade, but I think getting the number one cornerback on the market in JC Jackson for $16.5 million per year is just simply good value. And then I think Sebastian Joseph Day is a guy they needed on this defense, a nose tackle that, that Brandon Staley has familiarity with from the Rams, three years, 24 million. It is strong guarantees, over two thirds guaranteed, but just a deal that needed to get done. They just, they addressed the holes we all said they had and they did a good job of it. You know, the 16 and a half a year for JC and, and, and all these contracts is deals that they made. They have the Brandon Staley fingerprints on them from the Rams defense, but the JC deal, the 16 and a half, that was super low than what we were expecting, right? Yeah. So, you know, I had 18 and I think some folks kind of thought I, I should be pushing that like above Jalen Ramsey. I get why they felt that way. I do think that teams are getting smarter to where like the interception numbers for him are insane. Like 17 interceptions over two seasons is truly out of this world. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good interception guy going forward, but like, this is why PFF exists as a company because of like trying to convince people like this is not replicable. Like this is not going to happen again. And so I think we are starting to see smart teams under, look, I mean, he's still a good player that deserves yeah. good money, but the Jalen Ramsey numbers came in because of interceptions, which are kind of fluky. Interesting. Um, it was definitely one of the best offseason. I, lo I love what Natty did as well with the offensive line. Lyle Collins coming in yesterday to revamp that offensive line. All right, number two. The best, I guess, value signing came where? Which player was the best value signing? So you mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster for one year, $3.25 I'll leave that one alone. I think it's, it's funny. I think ironic when my answer is, is Michael Gallup of the Dallas Cowboys. He gets five years, $57.5 million, $11.5 million per year, which – in hindsight, now that we've seen some of the deals that have come through in free agency, the fact they got the deal done, I think the day before the, the opening, the legal tampering yeah. window began, um, at age very, if they waited 24 hours in that deal, I think they're paying a good bit more than what they ended up paying. I'm, I'm so with you. And in fact, they got five years is the other part about it, which is just tremendous. Again, more years on the deal, especially with the cap spiking very soon. Those years are basically non-guaranteed deals as well. So it's essentially team options. Dallas loves doing that. He did it with Tyron Smith. I think got what was it, an eight-year deal. Eight-year deal. Yep. Still playing on it. <laughs> still playing on it. And that's what they do. I mean, it's just tremendous value if the player keeps on doing what he's always done. Um, number three, the team with, I guess, the most questionable offseason so far is who? I mean, it's got to be the Atlanta Falcons. Like we mentioned, they, 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 a week ago, they thought Matt Ryan was their quarterback. They were going to restructure his contract, push cap yeah. down the line, take their lumps next year and kind of try to figure things out. Now, because they, you know, missed out on Deshaun Watson, who, look, is from Atlanta, Georgia, or the Atlanta, Georgia area, and chose to go to Cleveland, Ohio, over Atlanta. I won't, I won't get into that, you know, larger conversation. But it just – they have an egg on their face, right? And yeah. they're a bad roster. 
They extended left tackle Jake Matthews. They need to do something with Grady Jarrett. He's in the final year of his deal. A very good interior defensive lineman deserves an extension. I mean, they're just a bad football team with, with, with you know, with, with not a lot of money to improve the football team. I still can't tell if they were being used in the Deshaun Watson thing or they were actually in it to the end the way I thought they were. But whatever the case is, I really sensed, especially on Thursday and even Friday morning, that they were the team. They overtook the Saints. And then, as you said, they have an egg on their face right now. Matt Ryan is gone. Mariota is in. And that roster need, needs some serious help. All right. The best contract player-wise, in other words, this player, his agent, hit a home run of the contract they got. Who is that? So this one, I think, is I have this take now as time has gone on. And I'm not saying it's a bad deal for the team, which can be the implication when we say best for the player. But Lakin Tomlinson with the New York Jets to get three years, 40 million. The reason behind why I think it's such a good deal is you look at James Daniels getting less than nine million per year in Pittsburgh. Austin Corbett getting less than nine million dollars per year from Carolina. Like you go down the list of the free agent guards and look, I, you could argue Lakin Tomlinson was the yeah. best of that list. That's, a, that's, that's fine. But for him to get that much more than everyone else, he is older than all of those players I mentioned. It's a it's a great deal for the player. Definitely is. And he goes back to that 49ers type of a scheme offense there with the Jets. I do love that sign. And of course, the money wise, uh, it's not a bad deal for the team, like you said. But um, considering what we were expecting for the interior offensive line market, he got what we were expecting. Those other guys you mentioned did not. What about a team that had a sneaky good offseason? In other words, the Bengals and Chargers were like the obvious ones, but who had a sneaky good one for you? Yeah, I think Carolina has had a great offseason. <laughs> it may not matter if they don't get a quarterback, but I really like what they've done. I mean, first, you mentioned the interior guys. We thought we were going to get big deals. They get Bradley Bozeman for one year, $3 million, essentially. Oh, I mentioned Austin Corbett, three years, $26.25 million. It sounds like they're in the mix to maybe get Dwayne Brown, the left tackle of the Seattle Seahawks, who has a connection to you know Carolina Panthers GM Scott Fitterer. Um, I mean, I, I like bringing back Dante Jackson at, at cornerback three years, about $36 million there. Um, they now have three legit outside corners they can they can play with. Yeah, I mean, like nothing that is like that, like dramatically changes the, the, the complexion of the team. But we talk a lot about offensive lines like theirs was terrible. It may be league average now, but going from terrible to league average at offensive line is massive. Um, and that's what they did. I, I think they've had a, a sneaky, really good uh, free agency period. I think just considering how they started last year in that first hour, who was it? It was Patrick. Um, no, who it was, was who? Cam Irving and Cam Irving. Uh, Pat, Pat Alfly. Alfly. Yeah. The first hour of free agency of those two deals, considering where they're coming from, it's a pretty sneaky good offseason for sure. All right. Last one here. Where is, we didn't mention this quarterback before. Where is Jimmy Garoppolo playing next season? Now that Jameis Winston signed that two-year $28 million deal with New Orleans with $21 million in guarantees, so a legit deal. I think Carolina, the answer I just had. I think the Panthers are the, le the last team left standing. I don't know who else is really in this QB carousel. They're not going to trade him in the division to the Seattle Seahawks. I think he goes to Carolina. Interesting. We had Schefter on this podcast, of course, who said it's not a lock he gets traded. He has kind of shifted that tone a little bit about a week later and said most likely he is. But looking at it now – Unless Carolina wants him, I'm really not sure where else there is, especially with the draft coming up. He is coming off um, surgery on his shoulder, recovering from that. Expectation is he'll be back in June and throwing, but so far it's been pretty quiet. I saw somebody leak out a report. I don't know where it came from, but they have an offer for two second-round picks. I don't really buy that at all. Anyways, we'll see what happens with him, but he is still available from all the plethora of quarterbacks that have moved. You know, I said that was the last one. I actually have one more for you. 
Um, you know, you see on Twitter, all these people who say the cap is fake, the cap is a myth. Considering you are a salary cap expert, I want to kind of clip this. For those people who say that, how do you explain how the cap works in a simple, I don't know, one minute explanation here? Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why a lot of folks say that is because they view the cap as a one year thing. And in reality, the cap is a five year thing because you can spread money, money out up to five years. And I'll also say this, the cap itself is not fake, but the player contracts can be manipulated to an extreme degree. So I see why they think it's fake. I also look like we talk about dead cap and all these things that are limiting movement, but like, fans don't see that. So maybe they don't care as much about it, but the New Orleans Saints the next two years, if they make the playoffs, I'd be surprised. And I think a large part of that is because they're not going to be able to spend. Um, could they clear enough cap and be compliant and, and have traded for Deshaun Watson? Yes, they could have done that. Was it going to potentially limit their ability to spend around him? Yes, it would have. So Yes, you know, if, if owners want to spend a ton of cash, they can do that. They can spend more cash than the cap that year. But the cap, unfortunately, is not fake. It's not fake. It's, the saying is, is, it's like a credit card. You don't pay for it now. You'll pay for it later. That's what most of these teams are doing when they kick it down the road. Eventually, the bill will come and you have to pay for it. Brad, you're the best. I appreciate you doing this on a bit of a short notice-ish, but I appreciate you doing this. Hopefully, we do it again in the offseason. This was amazing. Absolutely. Thank you.